Exodus 39, verses 32 through chapter 40, verse 33. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram's skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamp set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them. And anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting 
on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in, the, in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. Well, the refrain of this text, which you may have caught, is the title of today's sermon. Everyone say, as the Lord commanded. As the Lord commanded. commanded. Now, this morning we find the people of God walking in obedience to the word of God. Now that is something to celebrate. I don't see many smiles, but I hope by the end of today... There might be some smiles because the people of God are walking in obedience to the word of God. Now, wherever you go in the world, when you find the people of God walking in obedience to the word of God, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's a forecast of blessing. Let me show you what I mean. What kinds of commands does God give to his people? Well, I want you to think with me about some of the commands that that God gives us. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. He says, Do good to all, especially those who have the household of faith. He says he is the father of the fatherless and the defender of widows. And he calls us to open our mouths for the mute. Now, everywhere you go in the world where you see God's people obeying his commands, this is a foretaste of heaven. This doesn't mean, though, that obeying God's commands are always going to be easy. Jesus asks us to love our enemies. When someone sues you for your house, give him your car too. Make sure your enemy has a way to get home. If someone forces you to carry his belongings one mile, go that mile, but out of love, go the extra mile. These commands are not easy. But what happens when the people of God walk in obedience to the word of God is we get a 
foretaste of heaven. We get a forecast of blessing. When the Bible describes heaven in Isaiah chapter 2 or Micah chapter 4, what it describes is a place in which people from every nation and people group gather together as one people. They are united by one thing, that they have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ by faith. They have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus so that they can stand before God as a holy people. Listen to what Isaiah says about this multi-ethnic throng of people who have come to the mountain of God by faith. In Isaiah 2 verse 3, we hear the people say, they say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. What will characterize heaven is one holy people from every ethnicity of people united under Christ to learn the ways of God and to walk in the ways of God. The people of God, the children of God will be characterized as walking in the perfect ways of God. And this is what peace on earth looks like. Now, I want you to imagine with me a world in which everyone walks in obedience to the word of God. Where people cease doing evil. Where people constantly devote themselves to learning to do good. Where people seek justice instead of depriving others of it. Where people correct oppression. Where people bring justice to the fatherless. Where people plead the widow's cause. Where the mute are spoken for. Where the poor are judged righteously. Not judged righteously if they have enough money to pay for the right attorney. But where they're judged righteously. Where the rights of the needy are defended. Imagine a place where husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church. Imagine a place where wives submit to servant-hearted husbands out of devotion for Christ. Imagine a place where children honor their parents into their old age, not just until they're 18, but until their old age. Where parents and our elders aren't thrown away. Imagine a place where parents don't abuse or neglect their children, but they raise them in the discipline and the instruction of Jesus. Now, this world sounds too good to be true. Understand good? Can we do with more of that kind of a world today? Can we do with more of that kind of world on the south side? I agree. When the people of God walk in obedience to the word of God, what we find is a foretaste of heaven and a forecast of blessing. And that's something to celebrate. And it's something to celebrate today because we see these people doing it. Look at how many times the obedience of the people of God is emphasized in our text. Look at verse 32 of chapter 39. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. They did what God said. Look at verse 42. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. 
They did what God said. Look at verse 43. And Moses saw all the work and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So had they done it. Skip down into chapter 40. Look at Moses. Chapter 40, verse 16. This Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him. So he did. Look at verse 19. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Look at verse 21. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Look at verse 23, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 25, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 27, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 29, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, there's something to be said about this. The people, including Moses, did just as the Lord commanded them. The people of God are walking in obedience to the word of God. Now, this is something that is really important for us to hear. And I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, but this is not the mode of operation of the people of God in in, in Exodus. The people grumble. People complain. The people take God's gifts for granted. They long to go back to life before their redemption. They look at their circumstances instead of God for provision for their daily bread. They, they make idols out of their stuff instead of using their, their stuff to promote worship of the true God. Now, as I give this list, this may sound familiar. Sometimes... As the people of God, we fail to walk in obedience to the word of God. And instead, we may grumble, complain, take God's gifts for granted, long to go back to life before our redemption. Look at our circumstances instead of God for provision for our daily bread. Make idols out of our stuff instead of using our stuff to promote worship of the true God. We can be like these people. So what I what we're going to see today is what we always see with God is is what causes this kind of obedience to come from a sinful, rebellious people. And that is God's grace. What causes it What's going to cause. Us as a people to 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 shun. Disobedience. And to walk in obedience to Jesus. It's going to be God's grace. It's going to be a people who are filled with the Spirit. Who are trusting in the salvation of God for us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Go and come back to that. It would be good at this point to discuss what the people did to obey God. Says that they did as the Lord commanded them. What did the Lord command? Well, starting in chapter 25 of Exodus and continuing for six chapters, concluding in chapter 30, God gives Moses specific instructions on the construction of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle would be the place where God's presence is manifest in a special way on earth. 
This is the place where the God who is transcendent, who is beyond us in every possible way, who is altogether distinct from his creation, who is beyond our capacity to comprehend or understand, who is higher and better than his creation in every way, manifests his presence in a way that is up close and extremely personal to his creation. We see God's imminence and his transcendence manifest in the tabernacle. This is the place where heaven meets earth, much like Sinai, like Sinai. This is Sinai, where where we see the presence of God manifest in in fire and cloud and in, in, in unapproachable darkness where only Moses could come near. The tabernacle will be the place where God comes near to his people and where his people, through the mediation of a high priest, would come near to God. This is a place that is holy as God is holy. And every element of the tabernacle, as well as every person who enters into the tabernacle, would have to be made holy. Now we can see the holiness that's necessary in chapter 40, verses 9 through 15. Look with me in your text. In chapter 40, verses 9 through 15. Everything in the tabernacle has to be anointed with a special anointing oil that can only be mixed for this purpose which is to consecrate the elements of the tabernacle, to set them apart, to make them holy. Look at verse 9. It says, Then you shall take the anointing oil, the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy, so to be set apart. The lampstand in the tabernacle is not like any other lampstand. Because it's anointed and made holy. The table in the tabernacle is not like any other table because it's anointed and set apart as holy. The utensils, I don't know what they had, maybe a spatula to flip over some meat and some, a fork, a, a knife. These utensils are, 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 are not like any other utensils because they are consecrated, they're anointed, they're set apart as holy. Look at verse 12. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. These men, Aaron and his sons, are admitted into a special generation, a special role to represent God to the people and the people to God in a special way. And the only way they can approach this holy presence is by being set apart and made holy. Everything in the tabernacle and everything and everyone that enters it is set apart as holy, as only under the Lord. So starting in chapter 25... And for six chapters, God gives Moses specific instructions on the construction of the tabernacle. And, and when you're reading in your quiet time, 25 through 30, sometimes you may feel like, what does it have to do with my life? But I hope that you can hear in this something special. Because what we see in these specific instructions for the tabernacle is something special that God's doing among his people. This is not some kind of 
I need a coffee table. Let me go down to Habitat for Humanity or Mathis Brothers and find some secondhand piece of furniture. That kind of interior design. What God lays out in these six chapters is highly particular. God breathed instructions for proper worship in his presence that had to be completed to the exact millimeter that God decreed. God wants a perfect tabernacle because he is a perfect God. He wants a holy tabernacle because he is a holy God. Unless we think that God is some kind of Enneagram type one perfectionist. I know something about that. Unless we think that God is randomly choosing measurements and quantities to see if his people will mess up. Let's remember this. The God who is giving these specific instructions, stay with me, is the God who is the Lord. The Lord. A God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You remember this? This is a God who is Holy, but in his mercy, he is, in his holiness, he is gracious and merciful, who forgives our sins, who calls us in a relationship with him. This is a God who is inviting a sinful, rebellious, idolatrous people to dwell with him. The God who formed all of our inward parts, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, who saw our unformed substance, who knows the number of hairs on our head. Who says we are more valuable than many sparrows. This is the God who invites his people to dwell with him. Everyone say God with us. This is really good news. The holy God invites common man to receive his grace and become his holy people characterized by his holy presence. That's what's going on when God gives specific instructions to Moses to give to his people. God is inviting us into relationship with himself. That's what's happening. So when you hear these instructions, that's what you're hearing. is a holy invitation to enter into the holy presence of a holy people set apart for God alone. And what's incredible is the people of God do what he says. They bring Moses everything they have made according to God's design. I want you to put up that picture of the tabernacle you've been seeing over the last few weeks. They bring Moses the tent, which is there in the center. They bring him all the the bases and the poles and the curtains, and they bring him the the goat skins to go over the top. They, they bring him the Ark of the Covenant, a box made of acacia wood and covered in gold that holds the, 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 the tablet of the testimony, God's covenant with his people. And over it are, are two cherubim with what some might say is full space between where God's presence shows up. 
there's a veil. And outside of that veil is a, a table with two stacks of, of bread of the presence. Unleavened bread. Just to remind the people that I brought you from a mighty long way. There's a lamp stand on the south side that has seven lamps. And there's an altar, a golden altar of incense that fills this tent with a pleasing fragrance. Many theologians compare this to the prayers of the saints that are always coming before God and pleasing him. And outside of this tent is an altar where burnt offerings and food offerings and grain offerings are sacrificed so that a people can be made holy. And between the altar and the tent is a basin with water in it. Where do they get the water? I don't know, but God can bring water from a rock. So there's water in it where the priests can wash so they can be made holy to enter into this tent to meet with God. That's what we're, that's what God asked them to do was to design all that and to make it. And we heard last week that, that God stirred their hearts so that they brought their talents and their ability and their skills and their wealth to bear. And, and God used it to make a place where he could meet with them. And what our scripture today says is that they did all that God commanded them. They obeyed the word of God. God can dwell with his people. They do it. They bring it to Moses. Moses examines every piece. If he were like me, he probably measured every one. And the end of chapter 39 says, behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. And Moses blessed them. Moses said, well done. Well done. They did their part. They walked in obedience. They did what God asked them to do. And they received Moses' commendation. Well done. He blessed them. This is what I was talking about. This is what God said. You did it. Now, sometimes in the journey of obedience, we can get discouraged because the tabernacle is not yet finished. What do I mean by that? The people, chapter 39, collect myself, is an inventory of all the materials that the people brought to Moses. And Moses gives a checklist, says, you, you did it. But the tabernacle is not yet set up. It hasn't been erected yet. In the next verses, God's going to tell Moses, erect the tabernacle. Build the tabernacle. And Moses is going to do it, just like God commanded. But right now, at the end of chapter 39, the tabernacle is not yet finished. And yet, God, Moses blesses the people. says, well done. Sometimes in our journey of obedience, we can get discouraged because the tabernacle is not yet finished. Let me show you what I mean. This tabernacle is going to be replaced. It's going to be replaced in 1 Kings chapter 6. By a temple that Solomon's going to build. It's going to be much like this tabernacle, but it's going to be in Jerusalem. That temple is going to be destroyed. In 586, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come from Babylon. He's going to destroy that temple. The temple is going to be rebuerelt under the leadership of Zerubbabel, 
the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak. We can read about that in Ezra chapter 3. Now, fast forward, and Jesus is going to come to earth. God's going to come to earth in the flesh. And we've looked at this in John chapter 1, verse 14. We read these words. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. Bring the temple, the tabernacle, the place where God's presence meets earth, going to bring it to earth. Everywhere you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus is the fullness of God in human flesh. And in fact, in John chapter 2, we're going to read these words. We're going to read the Jews saying to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? The things we're talking about is Jesus going in the, in the temple and throwing down tables. And, and, and Jesus is going to answer them, destroy this temple and in three days I will, rise, I will raise it up. And John tells us that Jesus is speaking about the temple of his body. So what Jesus is saying is, the temple isn't where you find the fullness of God's presence anymore. It's in me. It's in me. And we're going to read throughout John in places like John 5, 24. We're going to read stuff like, he has my command, here's my word and believes him who sent me. He it is who loves me. We're going to read stuff like, he who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me and he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will come and I will disclose myself to him. I will reveal my presence to him, reveal who I am to him in a more full way than you've ever experienced. We're going to hear Jesus saying, I am the temple. When Jesus then dies and rises again three days later, just like he said, He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, be seated at the right hand of the Father, send his Holy Spirit to live in you. And then Paul's going to write in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Look at your neighbor and say, you are God's temple. Look at your other neighbor and say, you are God's temple. Look at me and say, we are God's temple. We are God's temple. We are God's temple. And in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. But sometimes, on the journey of obedience, we can get discouraged because the tabernacle, the place where God's presence meets earth, is not yet finished. I can look at these relational values printed in the back of my bulletin. And I can look where it says that as people of God, we seek the good of the other before myself. Put the needs of others before myself. And I can remember when I was hurt by somebody at church. I can read words like what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says that God is bringing Jews and Gentiles to dwell together. As one body. And I can still see ethnic difficulties taking place in the church. I can go to some communities and find only rich people. And find other communities and find only poor people. And I can get discouraged and say, God, where is the tabernacle you promised to build? In the journey of obedience, I can get discouraged because the tabernacle is not yet finished. It's not yet complete. I don't see the fullness of God's presence dwelling with his people. You ever felt like that? Me too. 
In considering this text, one Old Testament scholar says these words. In speaking about the building of the tabernacle, he says this. He says, the point is not contemplation of a beautiful object. As much as that may be the case. But on the obedient activity needed to make it so. The point is not contemplation of a beautiful object, as much as that may be the case. But on the obedient activity needed to make it so. Notice what the refrain in our text is. It is as the Lord commanded. The point in our text is that God's people were obedient. Now, next week, come back. Because next week, it's on. If you read what else was printed in your bulletin, which will be printed again next week, you may have read that the glory of the Lord is going to descend on the tabernacle, such that even Moses can't go in. It's going to be a holy and beautiful experience that God is going to come to dwell with his people. And as we think about this as 21st century Christians, we know that one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make everything new. Every relationship that is now difficult will not be difficult. Every aspect of the unfinished tabernacle will no longer be unfinished. Jesus is building his church. He's going to finish it. He's going to complete that work. So what he calls us to right now is to obedient activity to make it so. We can get caught up in looking for the perfect tabernacle and even hop around churches to find the perfect tabernacle instead of devoting ourselves to the obedient activity needed to make it so. But let me give you a secret. This side of eternity, there's only one perfect tabernacle. And his name is Jesus. He's the only perfect tabernacle. He's the only one that will never fail. He's the only one who fully, completely, did just as his father commanded him. What we forget, maybe in reading this passage, is who is doing the work. God gave instructions in Exodus 25 through 30 to build this tabernacle. And then what happened? A golden calf. Rebellion. Idolatry. Fornication, sexual immorality, rebelling against the very God who gives them everything they need. But the God of grace and mercy doesn't give up on his people. He comes after them. He pursues them with his love. He gives them his word. Moses intercedes 
And then God gives them, here's who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Showing steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin. This is who God revealed himself to be after their idolatry. And now they're embarking on a new journey. They're about to set out from Mount Sinai, but God doesn't say you're going to go without me. He says, I'm going to go with you. You will dwell with me. That invitation for relationship is the same invitation that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus, what you've done is you've said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Where he is is where God is. And what you've done is you've recognized that this incarnate God became flesh and then died on the cross for your sins, for your rebellion, for your idolatry, for your lack of obedience. And he rose again. And he gave you your word, his word. But he didn't give you his word without the opportunity to obey. He gave you his spirit to put, build fruit in you that's going to desire to walk according to the ways of God. And as you look more at Jesus, the place where heaven meets earth, where God dwells fully, he's going to make you more and more and more and more into his image. I'm going to tabernacle with you. See, God had made a promise back in Exodus 25, verse 8, where he said, I will dwell with my people. I will do it. And God has made a similar promise to us. In Revelation 21, we read these words in verse 3 through 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. But the former things have passed away. Continuing on from here to Mount Sinai, even when they get in the promised land, the people aren't going to do just as God commanded. But Jesus will. And because of that, we have hope that we can forever dwell with God in the tabernacle, in Christ, who is our hope. If, you have, if you're here and you don't know what it's like to dwell with God, I invite you to trust in Jesus. He's the only place where the fullness of God's mercy and grace is fully manifest. You're going to meet some Christians who are going to disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint you. And you can find home in his church. You can find his presence in his church as his people learn to walk in obedience with him. We're about to go to the Lord's table. As we go to the Lord's table, we're reminded that the only one who sustains us, the only one who gives us what we need to, to do the work of obeying 
the commands of Christ. Obey commands like loving our enemies. Turn the other cheek. Walk in the second mile. Outdoing one another and showing honor. Caring for the poor and raising our voice for the mute is by feasting on Jesus. The one who died and rose again on our behalf. So pray with me. Then we'll go to the Lord's table. Our Father, I thank you for giving us the living word on which we can feast, who shows us your character, who shows us your mercy, who shows us your grace, that in the midst of our sin, we can be reconciled to you and walk with you and dwell in your presence and walk in obedience. Help us, God, we pray, to remember that Jesus did it. He finished the work. Help us to walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.